Thank you. Good job. Reading in public is a big deal, but he's a mayor, so whatever, right? Seriously, appreciate that. That's good. Are you in a place in some aspect of your life now with tension, affliction, difficulty? Do you sometimes wonder if, why God put you in that place? I mean, if he's a good God, why, right? You find yourself maybe in an ethical hard spot. If you're a baker, a gay couple comes and asks you to bake a cake, would you? What do you do? Interesting, all right? Um, today's passage is going to address some really, really uh, practical stuff. I'm excited about it, as always. About whatever passage I'm preaching on, it's like my favorite passage of the Bible. Anyway, we are in the book of Philippians, right? We are in the book of Philippians, and uh, it's page 980 in the Bibles in front of you. And um, right now, you know, there's, it seems to revolve around Jesus and how he thought and how he acted. That is a model for Paul. That's why Paul says, think like me, because I think like Jesus. And so today, you know, uh, Paul's bigger, yes, he's not ashamed, he rejoices over the gospel growth. And then next week we'll get into this section here, the Messiah's thinking, Messiah's acting is sort of the anchor for the whole thing. So that's kind of what we're doing there. But, um, you know, no sermon's really complete with, without maps. So seriously, if you're just joining us, maybe you, you don't know where we've been, what's going on. And, and um, I told you before, I have to do this so I can keep the story straight. So just indulge me, okay? Otherwise, I get lost and confused. Anyway, so um, in the book of Acts, there's three different... Um, trips, big trips where Paul takes these trips. They're called missionary journeys because he goes to different cities, establishes churches, talks to Jews in synagogues. And um, in Acts 16, he goes to Philippi and he can't find any synagogue because there's really not enough Jews. Remember, the law said that if there's 10 adult Jewish males, then you need a synagogue. The fact that there was not a synagogue tells us there's not many Jews in Philippi. And so, um, the second missionary journey, uh, Paul and Silas are going back up to this area called Galatia. And uh, Timothy's already up there in Galatia. And so when they're there, Paul and Silas meet Timothy. And they're ministering there. And um, while they're there, they, Paul has a vision from some guy in Macedonia that says, hey, come help us. So they do. They go up there and they establish the church at Philippi. And now Philippi is a Roman colony full of ex-Roman military people and current Roman military people. Philippi is known for being super pro-Roman nationalistic. And, and we'll get into some conflict when Paul is, is talking about a, a new gospel and a new king, not Caesar. That, that's, that's just not what you say in a town like Philippi, okay? And so there's going to be some conflict. In fact, Paul is arrested, and Silas, they're arrested for preaching Jesus, the new king, uh, the new gospel, and um, for some reason, Timothy wasn't arrested, and I, I don't know, but, you know, maybe when we're in heaven, we can, we can ask Timothy. So did you go out for coffee or what? Anyway, so Paul and Silas are in jail. Um, they sing at midnight, and the prisoners are listening to them. The prison guard, now th these, these guards, these imperial guards, when Tiberius was uh, the emperor, he chose 10,000 of the, the elite, the best of the best, and they become the imperial guard. Think Navy SEALs, okay? And um, these guys, when, you know, they're, they're in charge here, and um, 
they, they see that Paul is arrested not for being a criminal, but for his ideas. And I have to wonder if these Roman guys, they understand honor, they understand sacrifice, if there wasn't like a little bit of respect, like, hey, this guy's here, and he's not even a criminal. He's here just because of what he believes. Strong, dedicated, I don't know, okay? Anyway, when I get to heaven, I'll ask the Roman guard if you thought that, right? Anyway, so then um, Paul and Silas are released, and they go through Berea. They leave Timothy in Berea, and then Paul and Silas go back and... Um, wrap up the second missionary journey. Then they take a whole third missionary journey. Not, don't have a map on that. And then after that third missionary journey, Paul's arrested down here in, um, in Jerusalem. Now this is tricky here because um, he, he faces a whole bunch. He faces uh, Felix. He faces Festus and then King Agrippa. Now the Jews wanted to kill Paul, and so they're kind of staging this assassination plot in Jerusalem. Now, Back to the book of Mark. We did the book of Mark and we learned that Jesus was in the north in Galilee three years debating with the Pharisees. And then he goes down to Jerusalem, confronts the Sanhedrin, and in seven days he's dead. That's the toxic power of the Sanhedrin. And so the Jews are trying to kill Paul in Jerusalem. And so Paul's in Jerusalem and he appeals to Caesar because this this king is like, hey, well, I'll send you back to Jerusalem. Paul's like, uh-uh, I'm not, I know what happens there. I'm not going there. So he's like, I appeal to Caesar. Okay, he's a Roman citizen. He can do that. So on the boat, he goes up here to Rome where he's in, in prison. But this is not a, a dungeon being whipped every day prison. This is house arrest where one of these imperial guards was with him 24-7 in his home. And, and look how the book of Acts ends, right? He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Boom, the Acts, the book of Acts is, is over. Now, in your Bibles, it might say the Acts of the Apostles. Let me split hairs. If it really was the Acts of the Apostles, wouldn't Luke have been obligated to tell us what happened to Paul the Apostle? Is he released? Now, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so that's why he leaves you hanging. He leaves you hanging. Well, what happens here? Does, does he, is, he, is he released? So during these two years, he's in prison for two years. But these, the, during these two years in prison, he writes letters. They're called the prison epistles. Remember this? Every prisoner causes problems. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. They don't really cause problems, it's just a trick, but I'm just saying. So he writes these letters. One of these letters is in response to what's going on here. So he's in Rome in prison, waiting the verdict of his trial. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And so Epaphroditus is a guy from the church. The, the elders of the church of Philippi hear about Paul's situation. They say, Epaphroditus, take a bag of money, go 800 miles, give it to Paul, tell him we're praying for him. And so he does that, and the journey is brutal and hard. And, and between the journey and then the hard work in Rome, he almost dies working with Paul and for the gospel. And so Paul writes a thank you letter for the support back to the church at Philippi. And here's his letter. Go back 800 miles, and um, this letter we have is a thank you. He's celebrating the partnership God had with Jesus, the partnership that Paul has with the gospel, and the partnership that the Philippians have with Paul, who has partnership with the gospel. Okay? And so that, that's his whole driving point there. And so that's kind of what, uh, what we're doing. 
Okay, so let's go to chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll, uh, we'll read until we hit a word that causes me to stop. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. There's the word that causes me to stop. What's the gospel? I mean, we, we throw that word around, and again, if not everyone's been with us through, through Gospel Mark, you've seen this before, but just need to go again, because you like the gospel. What, what, what is a gospel? Uh, a gospel is good news. Euangelion, it just means good news, okay? Uh, you'll remember this, right? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus' victory over sin, death, and darkness. And through faith in him, we have eternal life and fellowship with the Father. Okay, that's, that's the gospel. And we have several of gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have you ever wondered, like, well, isn't one good enough? Okay, well, they're each written to a different audience, presenting things in a unique way to that audience. is like, I get it. Okay, all right. Anyway, um, so this is where it gets interesting. Were there other gospels in that culture? Yeah, there were. Hellenism was another gospel, okay? Hellenism is the Greek way of living, and uh, the pillars of Hellenism in that culture were education, healthcare, entertainment, and athletics. You look at that, and then you look out the window, and you're like, wow, that looks like my culture, right? We're into education, healthcare, entertainment, and athletics. In fact, today is a big day for athletics. Some people go kind of crazy. You hear about that guy that drove from Texas to Louisiana, placed a $5 million bet on the Rams? You can't, you can't place a bet on an app in Texas, but you can in Louisiana. So we drive to Louisiana, $5 million on the line for the Rams to win. Okay, that's a culture that really embraces and worships athletics, right? And so a friend, Daryl, sent me, said, well, anyway, one more slide. Um, anyway, Jesus and the gospel of Jesus, he's an excellent teacher. He heals people. He amazes the crowds and battles the Pharisees. And so, uh, especially in the gospel of Mark, this is, this is the lens that Mark has. Um, Jesus' gospel is better than the Hellenistic gospel. But, but here's the, the thing Daryl sent. You should be excited about church is a Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point, pour Gatorade over his head. <laughs> anyway, so probably not. Um, anyway, so it leads me to the point here that um, the term, I'll get that off of there. Um, the term, lest anybody do it. Um, the term gospel meant something in that culture that, that's really different from our culture. In our culture, gospel is a spiritual thing. In their culture, it was a political, civil, social thing, okay? And so we have to understand that, that there was another gospel around. And, and if you said gospel, they think in terms of political news of victory. Uh, uh, the Battle of Marathon, right? The Greeks defeat the Persians. And after that massive battle, um, they sent out heralds announcers proclaiming the euangelion, proclaiming the good news, the gospel. We won. You are free. This is news of a battle that has happened recently. We won. You're free. That is how they think of good news. And so when, when Paul starts talking about the gospel of Jesus, it is in direct competition with the gospel of Rome. Paul says Jesus is the king. The gospel of Hellenism says, no, Caesar is the king, all right? And so um, th that's, that's one reason among many why he was in jail, okay? So the gospel is good news, and, and it's not good advice, right? We, we don't look at the gospel like, what do I do, like ABC performance-wise to be saved? The gospel is news about what already happened, and what do I do to, to be saved is believe the news that this has happened, okay? 
All right, so that's, that's, uh, that's cool. So Paul is laser-focused on the gospel. Martin Luther was laser-focused on salvation by faith alone, and he's willing to die for it. Paul was willing to die for this. Maximus was laser-focused on a Senate-run Rome, right? William Wallace was laser-focused on freedom for Scotland and willing to die for it. And so for, for the younger people in our audiences, I have a little illustration here. My son gave me this laser. It's, it's got a key. It's kind of powerful. So laser focus. Uh, it's, you can't really see because it's bright. But this goes like, like almost a mile in the sky. There were geese flying over my house once. I shot it up at night, and they'll s- I shouldn't tell you that. But anyway, they start freaking out. Um, so laser focus. Paul was laser focused on the gospel, and he's willing to die for it. Okay? So verse 12, um, this is interesting. I want you to know what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment for Christ, that my imprisonment is for Christ, okay? Um, I want you to know that what happened to me has caused the gospel to advance. It's almost like yeah, they heard the news, they know he's in prison, and you get the sense that they have a different understanding of what happened to him, as though this is a mortal threat to the future of Christianity. And he's like, no, no, I want you to understand what happened to me is advancing the gospel, so just relax, okay? This is interesting. The Philippians could be wondering, he's arrested. Is, is it illegal now? Is it over? Done? Can, can, can we be a Christian in Rome? What, what does it mean? Okay. And Paul says, yeah, believe in the gospel because the gospel is unstoppable. The gospel will never fail. All right. Um, and so he, um, he says, this is, this is to be your focus. Uh, what, what am I doing? I think I'm behind here. Um, let me back up. I think I've shown you this before. It's just sh- pointing out that there's, there's other Gospels. That, that a, a town uh, in Turkey, they, they, they had this inscription, you know, and it talks about the Gospel, um, the Gospel of peace that um, Augustus Caesar, he's the Savior, you know. Um, anyway, so he's, he's the Lord of the Lord. So if you say Jesus, the Gospel of Jesus is better than this Gospel, you're going to be in trouble, okay? And so then it does say, yeah, it says what happened to me. And so that let's take a look and see what happened to Paul. Um, 2 Corinthians, he goes through this big list. Imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, five times, 40 lashes less one, three times beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. We're not done yet. Dangers from rivers, robbers, his own people from Gentiles, in the city, in the wilderness at sea, and false brothers. I mean, it's just like, okay. And he has the perspective of all of this. This is what happened to him in, in this context, it's specifically jail. But he's, he has quite a history with what happened to him, right? And so that, those hardships served to advance the gospel. Okay, if you look at this picture and I said, hey, what book of the Bible is this? It's an unfair question. But it's a question that I like. And, and to me, this looks like the, the book of Acts. Because, you know, the whole divine outline of the book of Acts starts in Jerusalem, and it goes to Judea and Samaria, see my hands, and then to the remotest part of the world. And so you're on a bridge, you throw a rock in there, and it does this thing, and I'm like, that's the book of Acts. 
right? Because it starts here and it goes out there. And so, but the key is what causes the gospel to go from Jerusalem out? It's persecution, right? Yeah, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, farthest part of the earth. It was persecution that drove people out. And it's so interesting that we're praying for the spread of the gospel. Pray that people would hear the message. Persecution comes. What's wrong with God? He doesn't answer my prayers. Isn't that interesting? Right. And so that's why we need the perspective today that we're going to see in this passage. He's so laser focused on the gospel. He sees his affliction as opportunities for the gospel, not hindrances to his prayers. Powerful stuff. All right. And so he is in jail. Paul is in jail, and his, his, his troubles here remind me of Romans 8. The confidence he has, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he doesn't allow his circumstances to shape his attitude. He has his attitude about the gospel shape how he thinks about his circumstances. I, uh, years ago, there was a, a president at Grace University who was there and kind of a, um, a funny guy. Um, he, he had a funny accent. Um, this is like way back in the 80s for those of you that are wondering if you know him, you don't. Anyway, um, he, w- he would say, how are you doing? And then, and then they say, well, under the circumstances, what are you doing under the circumstances? Anyway, you know, one of those things. But um, so... The whole point is we don't let circumstances define how we're doing. And even in our culture today, like the Super Bowl, this and that. I remember way back when, when Tom Osborne was coach of the Huskers, they hired a sports psychologist to help players think like champions. I I had a class at UNL. The guy had two PhDs in in the classes on stress management. He he worked for the Huskers, and he he went through the whole thing about physiologically what happens when you were, anyway, cold hands, drop the pass. And and anyway, my my point here is that um, attitude matters, and we know that. Business books know this, right? Uh, sports teams know this, and I was with my son. He was wrestling as, as a, in um, high school, and it's just so fun to watch him do that. Uh, but it said that uh, on a sign on the wrestling room, the power to choose your attitude is one of the greatest powers you have. Your attitude will determine your success. And, uh, and I'm not here to be like, oh, pick a good attitude, be a winner, and that's the Christian life. But s- Paul knows this truth can steer your life. Now, we respond to the gospel, and so the gospel shapes our attitude, right? And um, not necessarily um, other things. And so here's a, here's a fun quote by Thomas Jefferson. Nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude. It's interesting, right? And so you've worked with people who are just the won't work, never work, won't work. Uh, I used to lead river trips in Wisconsin and in college, and uh, they're five-day river trips. We packed big coolers because in canoes you can have really good food. Backpacks, not so much, but canoes full of pork chops the first night, 30 pork chops. I have to cook over a fire because we have 15 kids, get two each, baked potatoes. It was amazing. So uh, this is my first trip, and it's raining. I have to make a fire in the rain to feed 15 people with pork chops over the fire. So I'm out there trying to cover over the, you know, you know do the whole a little white gas on there, and, and you know, you tell the kids, you, you soak a stick in white gas, and then you're like, this is windy here. 
it burns really anyway so it's a lie but it's fun anyway so um i i get the i try to get this fire going and this one kid comes out next to me and he's like it's never going to work you're never going to get it lit we're never going to eat and i'm like attitude man come on right that's not helping and so every time he said that i'm like i am going to get it lit and just enough white gas i got it going i'm like there anyway so um We've all dealt with people who have horrible attitudes and, and just like keep pounding away. It's all bad. It's not going to work. And, and um, that's not where Paul was. Paul had the attitude that, yeah, I'm in prison and other bad things are happening here, but the gospel is advancing. And that's really what I'm laser focused on, the advance of the gospel. So that causes him to see things in a different way. And plus, Paul is always about trying to get a broader audience, right? And it says here that... Um, Verse 13, it's become known through the imperial guard and all the rest. So two to two, two audiences here. Now, he goes to Philippi, and, and he's trying to find some Jews, and so he goes down to the river. He's looking for an audience, and so now he's got the audience of the imperial guard. That's amazing, right? The imperial guard are with him 24-7. He can say anything he wants to them, right? Just like I would if, if I bake a cake for a gay couple. I'm like, well, I'm going to talk about Jesus because that's what I do. Anyway, we'll get to that later. A friend of mine started a, uh, a woodworking company, um, and he, he makes really ama amazing live, live edge tables and stuff, fills with cracks with epoxy and stuff. But he hires kids from North Omaha, and he's like, I'm the boss. I can talk about Jesus as much as I want to. No one's here telling me I can't do it. I'm like, that's a pretty creative uh, evangelistic outreach. So anyway, that's cool. Um, but he's always looking for an audience, and now God has given him a unique audience. These elite Roman guards and all the rest who are around him, other Christians that hear about this. And so verse 14, listen to this. Most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Most of the brothers, not all. Most. Interesting. Some, look at this. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So right away, notice what we have. The brothers preach and the others preach. The brothers preach from love and the others preach from selfish ambition. And I don't know about you, but I get a headache when I read this. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here. Look at that. Knowing the brother, some of the brothers preach from love, knowing that I'm put here for the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What does it even mean to preach Jesus out of selfish ambition to hurt somebody? What is that? And, and these people are believers because he doesn't rip into their theology that, that they're, they're preaching Jesus, but with a wrong motive. And I'm like, do, do you understand the message? Because it probably would impact what you're doing. Anyway, okay. Um, so the brothers are preaching, the others are preaching, and uh, it, says that, it says that the brothers, out of love, know that he's put here for the gospel. The word put here is a military term of stationed, assignment, you're assigned, you're put here. Strategic tactics put here. God has put him in jail. Now imagine if your grandson or granddaughter is in jail. Our first response isn't, what a great opportunity for the gospel. There's a bit of freak out. 
Have you heard about the scam? You, they, they call old people, and then they're like, you know, they go on Google or the, they go to the Facebook, and they're like, you know, hey, your grandson's name is Tony and whatever. And so they call an old person, and hey, this is Tony, Grandpa. I'm in, I'm in Mexico, and I got in trouble. Don't, don't tell Mom and Dad. I just need $300 to get out of jail. And it's a scam, and, you know, some, anyway, so I, when, I, when my kids were younger, I had my grandpa and my two boys at the table, and I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Grandpa, this is a scam. If you get a phone call and someone says Jesse or Micah are in jail, I said, Grandpa, just say, leave them there and hang up. <laughs> it was kind of good for the boys to hear that, you know what I mean? Anyway, so um, that, and then another time, this is a sidelight, but uh, my, my boys were little, and I just told them, I'm like, I, you know, God loves us unconditionally. I will always love you no matter what you do. I will love you. And there are a lot of things that can happen in a parent's mind with their children that, that can make that very difficult that we don't have control over. But I'm understanding by faith, Lord, help me love them no matter what happens. My older son, Jesse, he says, Dad, is, is jail free? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, kind of, but why are you? Anyway, it was funny, kids, right? Anyway, so, um, okay, let's go back to the text. Um, so, he's put here strategically, tactically assigned there, and the Philippians know that he's put there for the gospel, okay? Um, and so, it reminds me of this, this verse here. He says later in another letter to Timothy, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so this is what Paul's mentality is. Um, and, and the Philippians understand this. They're, they're not planning some elaborate jailbreak. They're not praying that he would get out of jail. They're praying that the gospel would advance. I think that's fantastic. Now, part of what's going on in this letter is that, that they're in Philippi and Rome is pressing on them. They, th th they're going to lose some of their freedoms. And so Paul is walking through his experience, how he's thinking. Gospel thinking leads to gospel living, which results in joy and thanksgiving. And he's doing this so that they can get a game plan for when they're the ones in jail, when they're the ones being attacked by other people, when they're the ones facing life and death. This is why Paul is doing this, all right? And next week he'll do that with Jesus. This is how Jesus thought. This is how Jesus lived. So therefore, follow in his example. All right? Um, yeah, in verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. Um, and this is, this is kind of hard. What's going on here is that there were some Christians in Philippi preaching in order to be popular. They want to be a big deal, okay? And uh, they're popular, and then Paul's in jail, and... Then they're like, this is great. Because when Paul shows up, all the attention goes from them to Paul. And they're like, Burr. and now Paul's in jail, like, sweet, I can be a big deal again. And I'm going to preach really hard and do a lot of ministry so that, so that he's kind of like poking the bear, like, you know, like just bugging him. Again, I'm like, I, I don't even understand that, but that's, and Paul's like, whatever. Okay, you're preaching Jesus, like, kind of. But anyway, okay, great. And, and I'm shocked that there's no theological, you know, hey, 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 you know, the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant, you know, superlapsarianism. Did you get that right? He doesn't address their theology, which tells me they're believers because in Galatia, he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, right? You, anyway, so, so they're preaching Jesus, but with really wrong motives. And I'm shocked that, that so often we're so quick to, to go to, to, to make a fight out of stuff in the church is everything we fight for really worth fighting for? Carpet in the church. No masks in the church. Raising hands in the church. 
okay, well, do we focus on Jesus and the gospel? And some of these things are important and they have, they have weight in our culture, but, but are we focused on, are we laser focused on the right thing like Paul was? All right? Interesting stuff. If you were in this situation, would you respond like Paul did? Other people preaching to harm you, would you like, whatever, they're preaching, let it go. I'm just glad that people are preaching. I'd be like, no, they're doing it wrong. Their transitions are all wrong. I mean, the, the structure, the, you know, whatever, right? We get picky about these things, and, and um, because we know transitions are key. But anyway, um, so Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. And so he, again, he's viewing his circumstance as an opportunity for the gospel. Do you view your life difficulties and, as an opportunity for the gospel? Not only to share it, but to receive the grace from it, all right? And so um, he, he's not focused on comfort. He is willing to spend his comfort. To him, comfort is a currency that he can spend to get gospel advancement, all right? And so um, I, I just, this, I'm going to read a verse from Corinthians here, and this really helps you understand his mentality, and this is not at all where we are in our culture. Let's check this out. In Corinthians, the believers were suing each other and fighting with each other, all this kind of stuff. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 6, 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Here's his advice. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? Yeah, go ahead and make that your life verse. Yeah, just this is my life verse. Just be wrong to be defrauded. But, but that's his mentality. Comfort is a currency to purchase gospel advancement. He spends his comfort, and he's not, a, he's not yelling for his rights, and he's a Roman citizen. He did mention it once because, of, hey, you can't, anyway. Um, but, but he's not like our culture about you can't, you can't, you can't, litigation, litigation. And, and, um, and there are times and seasons where that's appropriate. But I'm just saying, are we willing to spend our comfort for the gospel? Uh, what, what are you willing to spend comfort for? I'm willing to spend comfort to get up at 3 a.m. to hike Long's Peak. It's fun. I, I'm willing to, to drive my van to the Badlands. It doesn't have air conditioning, and it's been 100 degrees in the van before. Seriously. And we go through the whole thing, should we get air conditioning? It's just too expensive, so we don't. But, I, but I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to spend comfort for that because it's fun. And w what about opportunities for the gospel? What about awkward family relationships around the dinner table? Are you willing to expend the comfort, the, the Norman Rockwell scene that you want so desperately, and yet you have people around your table who don't share your values, who mock Christianity, and who are hostile to you? Are you willing to spend comfort to welcome them? Like Jesus welcomed the tax gatherers and sinners, and, and, and you know what I mean? I'm not saying your kids are tax gatherers and sinners. I'm just saying, right, we have, we have those tensions, okay? Anyway, and then we go on here in verse 19. This is fascinating. Um, I learned this. I didn't know this until I studied it, but guess that's like everything right but anyway um for i know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of jesus christ this will turn out for my deliverance now deliverance it's that's the word uh, salvation that we run into all the time and every time you see that word it does not always mean spiritual deliverance here it most likely means deliverance his acquittal the trial he's going to be freed from jail but anyway the, the, the phrase here that caught my eye is, this will turn out for my deliverance. It turns out that that is the exact same phrase, words, order of words from Job 13, 16. 
in the Septuagint. It's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so it, it seems that Paul is identifying with Job. Job faced hostile accusers, and he said, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know all will be vindicated, okay? And Paul seems to be identifying, Job had hostile accusers. He was in the right. I have hostile accusers. I'm in the right. I know I will be vindicated. And there's this weird match going on. I, I, maybe, maybe not, but it seems more than likely that he's identifying with Job and uh, expecting, as Job, to be vindicated um, from his position. Okay, so uh, verse 20, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be shamed to preach the gospel, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Wow, so Paul says, I'm in jail, whatever, the gospel is advancing. Other people are preaching with wrong motives to bother me, whatever, the gospel is advancing. And, and whether I face life or death, whatever, the gospel will, will advance. And so he sees everything through that lens. And that's a tremendous freedom that I don't know what, honestly, I have all the time. Because I get kind of locked up in my tactile, physical world. And, and I see problems as just problems. And it's hard for me to view this as an opportunity for the gospel. Right? When someone steals something from me, my first thought is not, oh, an opportunity for the gospel. Right? I'm just being honest with you. And so that's just a hard thing. And yet... I think that's where, um, that's where Christ would have us go. This is where Paul was moved because of his laser focused on the gospel and how he responded to the gospel. He spent his currency for the, for the furtherance of the gospel, currency of his comfort. All right, and so um, he says, because of their prayers and the Spirit's help, he's confident. Um, doesn't matter if he dies. Paul has found something to die for. Now, there's this phrase, you know, every man will die, but not every man truly lives. And that's uh, probably true, right? And so um, often people don't really find something to live for. Certainly, they don't find something to die for. And um, communism has, um, in the past, been that for some people, like Whitaker Chambers. I was reading about him. Uh, he was born in Philadelphia. Went to Brooklyn as a child. Just a brutal life. I mean, check this out. His parents separated, uh, and they, they, they had to care for their mentally ill grandmother. His father w was a sexual deviant and would beat him. His mother was a neurotic. His brother committed suicide. And so he found, seems very confused, but he found solace and purpose in communism. This is what he wrote. Communism offered me what nothing else in the dying world has power to offer me at the same intensity, faith and a vision, something for which to live and something for which to die. I'm like, dude, I wish you had heard about the gospel, right? It would give you life and not death. So Paul found a reason to live and he found a reason to die. And he, he wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid of the pain of death. He wasn't afraid of losing his, his connections with his, his friends and family. He was just all about the gospel. The gospel is his vigor, yes. So verse 22, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. Look at this, he can't lose. If I live, fruitful labor. Uh, but what to choose, I can't tell. Now, as I read this, this is emotional language. It's not calm and collected like normal. Um, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart with Christ, but that's better. But, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. So a calmer Paul in the spirit of Romans, you know, the, the legal lawyer language, he would probably have written, he who lives on in the flesh shall continue to minister, while he who ceases to live on earth shall take up residence with Christ. 
same thing, except he's like, well, if I'm living in the flesh, that's fruitful labor, but I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm hard-pressed. And so he's just, you know, kind of all over the place. But look at verse 25. I don't know what this means. I don't know how he knows this by faith, the Lord, but convinced, again, assurance, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy and faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So this, this is fascinating. He, he seems to be, you know, I, I could live, I could die. The verdict, the Roman verdict, I could be executed. And if that's the way it is, I'm with Christ and that's great. But you guys still have so many needs. There are, Epaphroditus brought back with a letter, for, you know, 800 miles. He brought back news of divisions and theological confusion. And Paul's like, you guys, you guys need help. You need some advice. And I, I think the Lord's going to have me live on so that I can speak to you and your church to those things. And so he's like convinced, I know I'm going to live in, which really, look at the thought process of Paul. He's basically saying that it's not the legal process that will determine my fate, it's your need for the gospel. Your need for the gospel is the driving force behind my legal verdict. Isn't that great? He's not even worried about that. He's like, if the Lord wants me to do this, that, you know what I mean? Do you understand this? The next time you're in litigation, just try that approach. Yeah, the gospel need here is going to really drive the outcome of this litigation. Again, we just don't go there right away. Hopefully we're not engaged in litigation frequently, but uh, I've got a brother-in-law who's a builder, and he, he's just always getting sued. It's just, it's just, you know, just more of the same, and that's just uh, business. That's just the way it works. Anyway, okay, so he sees the gospel as the driving force behind his legal trial, and um, that is amazing. You need me to come back to you. So did Paul get to go back? Was he released? Yeah, he was. He was released from that Roman imprisonment. The book of Acts ends. He's there two years. He writes, every prisoner causes problems. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And all these letters from prison. By the way, think of this. While he's in prison, what resource does he have that allows him to write all these letters? Time. Isn't that interesting? Again, so, so he has time, he writes all these letters, uh, in, impacting hundreds and thousands of different people, and even us down to this day. Um, but he was released, and he goes about his uh, life for about six more years, and then Rome arrests him again, and um, he's executed. And so um, here's wrapping up. Why does Paul want the Philippians to know this? Why does he write this? Again, because he is walking through his own trials, He's in jail. He faces other believers who are attacking him, and he may live, he may die. And one day, Philippians, you might be in jail. You are opposing Rome. Other people will be hostile towards you. You might face death. When that time comes, think like me because I think like Jesus and celebrate the gospel. Be laser-focused on the gospel, not comfort, not your rights. And this is the path to thanksgiving and joy, all right? Because gospel living uh, gospel thinking results in gospel living, which results in thanksgiving and joy. So, where are you with your circumstances? Paul was put, assigned, tactically placed in jail for the advance of the gospel. One, when your kids, family, relatives, beloved ones are put in a place that's full of affliction, I just invite you to consider what might the gospel have to do with that? It's a good question, right? 
And if it's our own stupid behavior, we just pray for redemption for that scene. Because sometimes I, I've been in like, it's just my stupid behavior, and, and um, God is still there with me. But you get what I'm saying, okay? Um, but, but what if the Lord puts you as a baker, and a, and a gay couple comes and says, make a cake for our wedding? I love this question, because it's like the tattoo question. I love tattoo. What would you get if you got a tattoo? I just, um, anyway, I won't go, anyway. So the baker, if, if you're a baker and a Christian, would you make a cake for them? I would. Why would we demand that someone without Christ live a, a moral life as though they had Christ before we love them? Is this the environment to grind an axe and say, I disown, I dislike, I disapprove? I don't see Jesus doing that with the adulterous woman and the prostitutes and the tax gatherers. And this is a hard question. It doesn't mean uh, I'm approving of that. And I've been through this whole thing with kids. What if my son marries a, home, uh, is, is marries a guy? Would I go to the wedding? And, and it's not an easy question, but I, I, you know, my wife and I all the years, we're like, what if they marry a crazy woman, a, a heretic who's just nuts? They didn't, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, early on, we're like, what if that happens? Again, here's our response. Welcome to the family. We love you. By faith. Because I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we want to love you as Jesus loves us, okay? And that's, that's hard. Um, so I just, I'm just kind of, I just struggle with, does someone have to agree with me before I love them? Remember, I had a family member once say, say to my face, I don't have to love you if you don't agree with me. And I'm like, I, I don't think I see that in the gospel. Interesting. So that kind of challenges me. And, it, and it's okay if we differ on that question. I'm just trying to bring it to bear. Like this, this is a real issue. Um, and there might be other circumstances where it would move the needle one way or another. I, I get that. But still, um, the, the, the point is, but zoom out here. The Lord puts us in places where we have tension, where we have difficulty. And often those are for gospel issues, kingdom issues. And we lock down on our comfort and, and, and you don't agree with me and I don't feel loved. I don't feel, you don't respect my values. And so you're not welcome at Christmas anymore. Okay. Um, it, it's a difficult, difficult thing, right? But Paul was laser focused on the gospel. Whatever circumstance he found himself in, he's like, the gospel can advance. And, um, and the forgiveness would move forward. So here we go. Do you have difficulty accepting your station in life? Do you, do you resent where God has placed you? And how might responding to the good news of the gospel by celebrating gospel opportunities in those difficult situations, how might that change your attitude? Life is complex. There's no easy answers for some of these questions are raised. It, it's not just, oh, here's your three by five card, do this. Um, we want to bring those situations to the foot of the cross and say, Holy Spirit, guide me in this situation. But I want to challenge us to be so laser focused on the gospel and responding to the gospel that it changes our interactions with people with whom we disagree. Even other Christians attacking us like Paul had. Facing life or facing death. Being wrongly accused. Being in jail. I know maybe there's some people online looking, you know, you're in jail. All right? You have a gospel opportunity that nobody here has if that's you. All right? That's a challenge, isn't it? So as we wrap up, these are some questions we want to think about and um, just pray that God would speak to us and that we would see our afflictions and, and um, we'd be willing to spend the currency of our comfort 
to advance the gospel. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his tenacity. Man, his laser focus, just um, so encouraging. And it's probably why the Philippians were speaking boldly, because this guy is not troubled that he's in jail. He is just going forward. And if if I'm on his team, I'm like, me too, then. I'm I'm encouraged. And so um, we want to be speaking boldly, but yet we want to do that with winsome love and grace and openness and, and not just bash people on the heads with the Bible. And so uh, we have so many complex relationships, and in so many of these relationships, Lord, there's, there's so many past hurts, and we just pray for your grace as we seek to repair those and bring the gospel to bear on those. And whatever outcome of what you're doing this morning in our own hearts, the next steps, we pray for courage to follow them and clarity so that we know exactly what you're calling us to do. Amen.